What you having for lunch today? What are you having? What? Grilled cheese? Chicken? Would you have a bad one or what? <laughs> Chicken? What else? We're doing spaghetti. We're doing spaghetti today. I thought I'd tell you guys. We're doing spaghetti today. Um, what else? Huh? Shrimp? Oh, we're going to Dwight's. Uh, uh, spaghetti. I'm going over to Dwight's today. Yeah, everybody's like, okay, I'm not saying what I'm going to do. Hey, no, you, you know, we don't think about that, do we? I mean, we have so many choices. You know, for us, we're doing Christmas tomorrow because of schedules and everything else, so our Christmas will be tomorrow night. And, you know, we got, my wife and I were talking about, well, what are we going to do? You know, because we had like turkey for, for Thanksgiving, and then we had ham last Sunday, and so we didn't want turkey or ham, so uh, we decided steak. So we're going to be doing steak um, tomorrow night, and no, you're not invited. Uh, yeah, no, you're not invited. Uh, you can come for breakfast on Christmas Day, uh, but uh, so, you know, and, and like I say, and then Christmas Day, I was like, well, you know, we've had turkey and ham and steak, so let's do breakfast. Uh, you know, I mean, we don't think so much about meals because we have so many choices. I mean, most of us, if you're like me, most of us are like, well, you know, I've had this within the last week, so I want something different. But, you know, in most places in the world, that's not true. I mean, most places in the world, it's pretty much the same thing every day. Rice is a common staple in most, in most countries. Uh, you know, you have rice every single day. Back during the Depression, it was potatoes. You know, people ate potatoes, and lots of potatoes. And they ate potato everything. Uh, with, in, in, in some cultures, like in, in the Bible times, a staple was bread. Bread was a main staple. At It, it was something that, that didn't didn't deteriorate quickly. It was something that they could store, that they could make, that they could, they could keep. And so in, in, in the Bible times, bread was a staple of, of life. And that's going to kind of lay the groundwork for what we want to talk about this morning because we're going to talk about bread and we're going to talk about how it relates to the Christmas story. So you've got to bear with me here because I've got, I got to take you on a little bit of a journey way back in the Bible to bring you up to the Christmas story to take you to the resurrection story. So Hang on, we will get there, and it will all tie to Christmas one way or the other, okay? You just got to trust me here. So let me talk to you about bread in the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, our, our, our introduction really to bread is the story of the children of Israel when they were in Egypt. And what happened was the children of Israel were in Egypt, they were in slavery. You remember the story, Moses, let my people go. You know, you've probably seen the Charlton Heston thing where the river, okay, so now you know Well, the story we're talking about. Well, when you read the Bible in that story, about six weeks after they leave Egypt, they're griping and complaining to God. And they're saying, God, look, you brought us out here to kill us. We're going to die out here. And so God decides that the way he's going to solve the problem is with a thing called manna. Now, we don't know what manna is. Literally in Hebrew, the word manna means whatchamacallit. <laughs> Seriously. It's like, what is it? it, it what is it? That, that's what they call it. In other words, when they saw it, when they saw it there the first time, they didn't know what else to call it, so they called it, what is it? Um, or what you would call it. It looked like, as near as we can figure out from history, manna probably looked like sugar-frosted flakes. Uh, the little flakes, you know, that, that, that you put in cereal. And I used to eat sugar-frosted flakes with two spoons of sugar on them. So uh, <laughs> do the math. It's a wonder I'm not a diabetic. But anyway... Um, I don't, I don't anymore. I, haven't, I couldn't tell you last time I had, I had cereal. But anyway, it, it, so 
But it, it, well, and, and, here, and God set up some rules. And he said, okay, here's the way this is going to work. Every day, I'm going to provide you enough for the day. But here's the thing. It's going to be on the ground when you get up early in the morning. But when the sun comes up, it's going to melt. It's all going to be gone. So if you want to eat that day, you're going to have to get up early enough to grab what you need for the day. Because God was trying to teach the children of Israel something about a work ethic. He was trying to teach them something about dependence upon him. He was trying to teach them some things about how he, you know, God, didn't, God just didn't want to hand it to them. God wanted them to do something in order to understand that it's a two-way street. There's a, yes, God will do for you, but you need to do for yourself in some, with some common everyday kind of thing. So, you know, God said, look, I'll provide it, but you're going to have to go out and get it. So they would have to go out in the morning and gather it up, and, and they were told how much they could gather. And, and at the end of the day, God said, look, chuck it out. Don't, don't, don't save anything for the next day. So you can imagine the first day these people grab all, you know, there's like, oh, good, you know, we don't know how long it'll last, and they open it up the next day, sleep in the next day, and open it up, and it's all rotted. Oh, what are we going to do the second day? Well, you should have trusted God the first day, and you would have learned. So they learn that we pick it up, and then at the end, and then God says, okay, now on on the day before the Sabbath, I don't want you picking up manna on the Sabbath. I'm not going to provide manna on the Sabbath. So on the day before the Sabbath, you pick up twice as much, and I'll keep it overnight for you, and it'll be fine the next day. And so some trust God, and some don't. And so, you know, they, some get up that Sabbath morning, that first Sabbath morning, they're out there looking for manna, and there is none. And, and the other people who trusted God, they're sleeping in. And, you know, it, it all works that way. And God said, look, he was trying to teach Israel something. He's trying to say, look, I, I will take care of you every day. I will give you just enough for that day. No more, no less, but you'll have enough for that day. And you've got to learn to trust me. And God did that to the children of Israel for 40 years. Through Moses. They came complaining and griping, and, and, God, and the people went to Moses, and so Moses went to God, and God said, okay, look, here's, here's the deal. This is what I'm going to do. I'm going to give them manna every day for 40 years, and that's what God did. Okay? That's early in the Old Testament. Now, when we come to the end of the Old Testament, we have a very interesting passage in the book of Malachi. Malachi is the last book of the Old Testament. So here's what's going to happen. Malachi is going to be written. There's going to be 400 years in which no books of the Bible are written, and then we're going to come to Matthew and, and, and Mark, Luke, and John, which is about the life of Jesus. So we have what some people call the 400 silent years. So before God doesn't speak, through the prophets and everything else, before that 400 silent years, we come to the book of Malachi, chapter 5, and God tells us something about what he is going to do one day. And in Malachi, chapter 5, and verse 2, here's what it says. <clears throat> but you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from old, from ancient times. One of the things that God says through the prophet Malachi at the, at the end of the Old Testament is there's coming a ruler and he's going to come from Bethlehem, Ephrata. Ephrata means fruitful. Bethlehem means house of bread. So he says there's going to be this little place called Bethlehem and the ruler's going to come from there. Now you need to understand, Bethlehem is like Bethlehem's like a suburb of Climbing Hill. Okay? I mean, really. Okay? Bethlehem's five miles south of Jerusalem. 
Um, when, 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 Nehemiah, when Nehemiah lists all of the important cities around, around Jerusalem after they rebuild this stuff, Bethlehem's not even mentioned. It's like a little village, a little hamlet thing. Uh, Bethlehem has, has no, I mean, it's, it has some significance in history because of, of David and Rebecca and some other things, but nobody pays attention to Bethlehem. And, and, G, and, and Malachi says, I'm going to tell you what's going to happen. A ruler is going to come out of the house of bread. And that's where this new ruler is going to be born. Now, let's go to the Christmas story. Notice what it says. Um, After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of Herod the king, Magi from the east came, and asked, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose, and we've come to worship him. And then King Herod heard this. He was disturbed. Now, Herod was like super paranoid. And, and the one thing, Herod, look, if you were a king, the one thing you didn't want to hear was, hey, where's the new king? Okay? And if you were a paranoid king, you really didn't want to hear, where's the new king? So this, this upsets him, and notice what he said. He called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, and he asked them where Messiah was to be born. And notice, they know. Because many of these rabbis, many of these teachers had memorized all of the Old Testament. So they had the prophet Malachi memorized. And they said, in Bethlehem of, of Judea, they replied, for it is written, what the prophet has written, but you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judea, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly, found out from, the, from them the exact time the star had been appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I may too go and worship him. Okay, you know Herod. If you know anything about Herod's history, the last thing Herod was going to do is worship a new king. So Herod wants to know about that. He wanted to find out the time of this birth because, and by the way, again, don't destroy your mangers when you go home, but your manger is biblically incorrect, all right? Let's just put it that way. By the time time the Magi shows up, Jesus is already in a house. He's not in a little manger thing. There's no shepherds there. There's no angel there. There's like the Magi and their guys. All right? So, but you don't have to go home and make your manger theologically correct. All right? Um, If you go to my house, my manger has the wise men and the shepherds, and they're all there together. Okay? And Jesus is in a little hay thing. All right? Um, And I bought mine in Bethlehem, by the way. So, all right? So, you don't have to do that, but this is what happens, all right? He comes. They come and they, and they worship him. <clears throat> um, this is the story. So what happens is they come and, and, and they worship Jesus. Um, go on to the next passage there. Oh, no, go back. I'm sorry. Okay, so hey, here's what happened. So now Jesus is born there in Bethlehem, house of bread. That's what it means. <clears throat> and, and in that context then, Jesus is born. He is then, grows up. 32 years later, I want to fast forward you to the life of Jesus now. In the life of Jesus, we have been studying the miracles for the last year here. We've been going through miracles. There's 35 plus miracles. We've been taking one each week. Um, The last couple of miracles we've been talking about, we talked about the feeding of the 5,000, remember, with the bread? Remember that deal? Five loaves and two fishes? And then after that was the miracle of the walking on the water. Okay, remember that? Jesus walks on the water and Peter sinks and Jesus pulls him out and remember all that okay then follows a discussion in John chapter 6 
with Jesus and the people and the disciples. Listen to the story, and then you'll start to see how it all ties together. Here it goes, John chapter 6. Jesus answered, Very truly I tell you, you are looking for me not because you saw the signs I performed, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. He said, look, the only reason you're following me is because I fed you. I took care of you. That's the only reason you're here is because of the food. Um, kind of like our potlucks, you know. You know, it's like, you know, do you come for church or for the food? I don't ever want to test that theory, all right? Um, but it, it's kind of one of those things. He says, he says, and notice what Jesus said, do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him, God the Father has placed the seal of approval. So in our, he says, look, guys, you're after like physical food. What you really need is eternal food. And so, what's their next answer? What's their next question? What must we do to do the works that God requires? He says, okay, tell us what we have to do. In other words, Jesus says, look, you, you need eternal food. And, and they're going, okay, so tell me what we need to do. Do we need to, like, go trek to Mecca and back and we'll get that? What, what, what's the process? And notice what Jesus said. He said, Jesus answered, the work of God is this to believe in the one he has sent. He said, guys, it's not about what you do, it's about what you're going to believe in. It's about what you believe, not about, what, not about your works. It's about belief. Let's make that distinction, guys. And then notice what he goes on to say. So they asked him, what sign will you give that we may see it and believe in you? What will you do? <clears throat> so he says, okay, so, so if you're like the one from God, then you've got to like prove it to us. Now, wait a minute. Back it up. He had just fed 5,000 people. He had just walked on water. And they're going, we got to see something. Uh, notice what they said. Our ancestors ate manna in the wilderness, for it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. So in other words, <clears throat> they look at him and they say, look, I, don't, this, I think this is what they meant. I don't know if this is exactly how they said it, but I think this is what they meant. <clears throat> no offense. But you fed people for one day. The guy that we follow, Moses, he fed people for 40 years. I mean, what you did was good, but you've got to understand, our ancestors, they topped that. They, he, Moses, he fed those people for 40 years with manna. That's the kind of thing we've got to see. If we're going to follow you, I mean, we follow Moses, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, we follow Moses, we follow David, who's our king. We, so, so you're going to have to do something bigger than those guys. And notice what Jesus says. Jesus said, verily unto you, truly I tell you, it's not Moses who gave you bread from heaven, but it's my Father who gives you bread from heaven. He said, whoa, 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 let's correct your theology here. First of all, it wasn't Moses who fed those people, it was God. He said, let's understand that first. And then let's also understand this. It's God who's going to feed you too. That spiritual life, food kind of thing, that's got to come from God too. And notice he goes on. For the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Now remember, Jesus is born in where? Bethlehem, which means what? Bread, bread house of bread. So we have, he said, look, the bread, of, the bread from God is going to come down, Jesus, going to be born in the house of bread. And they said, give us this bread. Sounds great. Where do we sign up? 
Notice what Jesus goes on to say. <coughs> then Jesus declared, I am. Now wait a minute. You've got to understand, when Jesus uses those two little words, I am, folks, listen, in this world, that was blasphemy. As you see, in this world, in this culture, with these Jewish people here, the only person who used that term ever was God. When Moses, when, when God calls Moses to go and, and, and go to the children of Israel and tell them that they're going to lead them out of the promised land, one of the questions Moses says is, who do I say sent, sent me? I, I'm going to go tell the people that we need to get out of Egypt and stand against Pharaoh. They're going to want to know, who's telling me this? And God's answer is, I am that I am. You tell them the great I am has sent you. The I am, the self-existent one. He's the one that sent you. That's all you've got to tell them. So now Jesus pops on the scene a couple thousand years later and looks at him and goes, I am. But seven times in the book of John, Jesus uses this phrase, I am. I am the door, I am the way, the truth, the life, I am the vine, I am the shepherd. When Jesus says, I am, he's declaring to be God. And he says, I am the bread of life. The bread of life born in the house of bread. And Jesus comes to them and says, guys, I'm the everlasting bread that you need to partake of. And now notice what happened. He goes on to say, whoever comes to me will never go hungry. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. But as I told you, you have seen me and you still don't believe. He said, You've, you watched me do all this stuff, you still don't believe. He said, you haven't figured it out yet. And notice what he goes on to say. All those that the Father's, Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me, I will never drive away. He says, look, here's the deal. Whoever comes, I'm going to accept. You come, I'll accept you. No stipulations. Not the, whoever, you, you, me, we're all whoever's. Whoever comes, I will accept. Notice what he goes on to say. I will never drive away. He, he says, look, you got to understand this. You come to me, I'm not going to look at you and go, you, you know what? You need to go fix this first. Have you, have you ever, ever been rejected by somebody for something like that? I love my wife. My wife loves me. But... Like in the summer, oh, that sounds like a, yeah, that sounds like a, 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 I love you, you love me, we're, no, um, is that Barney? That'll be in your head for the rest of the day. Uh, but I mean, okay, so, so we love each other, okay? But when, in the summer, like when I'm outside and I'm working and it's all hot and I'm all sweaty and nasty and stinky and I come in and I go, I love you, hug me. My wife's like, no. I love you till death do us part, but that does not mean I've got to hug a sweaty person. Um, I am, go take a shower, then I will hug you, you know. Her love at that moment is conditional, all right? I mean, at that moment, it's like, okay, you know what? Jesus says, look, I take you as you are, hot, sweaty, stinky, nasty, all messed up, banged up, doesn't matter to me. You come, I'm not going to reject you, no matter what, ever. I know what it goes on to say. For I've come down from heaven... Not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. 
So you know what? This is what my father wants. My father realizes this is the only way that sin can be taken care of. So I'm voluntarily coming because I know this is what he wants. And he goes on to say this. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I shall lose none of those that he has given me, but I raise them up at the last day. For my father's will is that everyone who looks to the son and believes in him shall have eternal life, and I will raise him up in that last day. He says, you want to know what the plan is? You want to know why I'm here, guys? Because if you will believe in me as the eternal bread of life, I got you covered. I got you covered. I got your eternal destiny taken care of. It's a done deal. I've got everything that you need every day taken care of. You can trust me. I will take care of you. From that point on, you're mine. I will watch over and take care of you. And he says, that's the deal that I'm making. And that's what he offers here as the bread of life to anyone who comes. A couple of takeaways, um, and, and, and then we're done. Um, first takeaway, first question I think that, that, that everyone has to wrestle with is this idea. Have you received Christ as the bread of life? You see, here's what Jesus says in this story. I'm, I'm the way that you have eternal life. You come to me. And you need to know this. You come to me, I'll accept you. And not only will I accept you, I won't lose you. I, I, I won't lose you. I won't let you go. You're mine. And that, in a world in which we minimize commitment, is an incredible thing. When God says, you know what? In my world, I'll never divorce you. I'll never separate from you. You're mine. In fact, some, some of the gospel writers actually argue that it says when you're placed in the hand of God that it's actually you become part of the hand of God. And God's world losing you would be like losing a finger. And God don't do that. And I want to challenge you this morning to understand that God says, if you come, I will accept you. No if, ands, or buts, no stipulations. You don't have to clean anything up. You come as you are. But you notice, he does say you have to come. Just like the people had to go out every day and get the manna. You have to come. You have to be willing to come. It's not something that's just handed you. It's like, I asked Dave to leave this up here, um, but it's like this. On Christmas this week, many of you are going to be handed a gift. And you're going to have a choice. So if I walk up, you walk up to me and hand, hand, stick this out, i got a choice. I either take it and receive it, or I refuse it. Actually, we were talking this week about this. There's actually a person that we know. We love them, but their social skill set's a little off. Okay, Because here's what, literally what happened. Somebody in their family had gotten them a gift. They'd gotten them one of them bed, bath, or bed, not bed, bath, they'd be on. What's that, what's that smelly store? Bath and Body, that's it, Bath and Body. They had gotten them some stuff from Bath and Body. And this is what the person did. They opened it up. They saw that it was a Bath and Body thing. They took the cap off. They smelled it. They put the cap back on. They put it in a box. He goes, I don't think I like that smell. It's yours. And gave it back. <laughs> now, some of you are going, I don't see a problem with that. Some of you, on the other hand, are going, you know, you're the one we probably need to talk to later. Um... Maybe a little class on social skills. But anyway, um, 
No, you take it and you re-gift it. That's what you do. Um, but, no, I, you know, yeah, yeah. but here's the thing. They rejected the gift. It was offered and they rejected it. And, and here's what Jesus says. He says, you need to understand. You come to me, I'll accept you. I'm offering you a gift. It is yours. You just got to take it. I am offering you a gift of eternal life. And for some of you, you don't realize that's what the Christmas story is all about. It's about that, that baby in a manger is really a Savior on a cross. That baby in a manger is really the way for you and I to have eternal life. The bread of life lies in a little town known as the house of bread offering a way for you and I to have eternal life. And, and I trust that you have put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And then you're not trying to, can you imagine if, if, if I handed you a gift, I went to Brett and said, hey, Brett, I got this for you for Christmas. Um, but before I give it to you, it cost me $62.53. So I need you to write me a check for $62.53 and I'll give it to you. Is that really a gift? He's earned it. He bought it. You know, the only thing he earned was, uh, the only gift was me buying it for him or wrapping it. And if I was smart, I'd charge him for the paper too. You know, that's not a gift. You can't earn salvation. There's nothing you can do. It's not about jumping through a bunch of hoops. It's not about, okay, you know, if you come to church like 40 times out of 52 in the year, you're in. That, that's earning your salvation. It's a gift. People are going to give me gifts on Christmas Day. You guys know what I want, right? You're, you're going to give me gifts on Christmas Day. And I'm going to take them. I can't earn them. I can't buy them. I'm going to receive them and I'm going to enjoy them. They're gifts. They're gifts. And God says, look, Christmas is a gift of salvation offered to anybody who wants it. And for me, I was 16 years old. I was in Detroit, Michigan. I was sitting in a room on a folding chair. And I simply said, God, I know that I'm a sinner. I know that I need a Savior, and as best as I know how, will you forgive my sin? Will you come into my life? Will you be my Lord and my Savior? And at that moment, I received the gift of eternal life. It was that simple. God took me as I was. You go, PJ, you don't have any idea what I've done. It doesn't matter. You don't understand how stinky I am, how smelly I am. Unlike my wife, God will embrace you. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Because Jesus said, look, anyone who comes to me, I'll accept them. I'll accept them as my own. And I won't lose them. Some of you struggle with your assurance of salvation. Can I take a rabbit trail for a second? <coughs> In this passage, assurance of salvation does not rest on what you do. Assurance of salvation rests on the fact that Jesus is not going to lose you. That's what he says in this passage. My assurance of salvation is banked with Jesus, not with me. And, and, and you need to understand that. And so you're like, well, I feel like I've got to keep measuring up. I've got to keep measuring up. He's not going to lose you. Second thing, for some of you, you have accepted Christ as your Savior. And you understand that whole bread of eternal life kind of concept that, that He's your Savior and that you, you have entry into heaven. And to, but can I remind you of the, 
the bread of life principle goes a little bit farther to mean that God also takes care of your daily needs and that God's not going to give you more than you can handle for that day. God's not going to allow more than you can. You go, you don't understand, PJ. I am at my limit. You don't understand. There's enough manna for you that day. Yeah, but what about tomorrow and next? Wait, wait, wait. The Jewish people were taught there was enough manna for that day. Deal with tomorrow, tomorrow. The Jewish people had to learn that concept of depending on God every single day. And, and I would remind you of that. That there is enough on your plate for today. And God's grace and God's strength and God's encouragement and everything that you need, God will get you through today. And then, Lord willing, you will wake up tomorrow and there will be enough to deal with tomorrow. That's the daily Jesus is my bread of life. That's the daily Jesus taking care of my needs and feeding me and, and, and meeting my spiritual needs and giving me not just life but life abundantly. And then I would remind all of you who are believers that that bread is made to be shared. And there are some of you that are going to be around people this week who don't know what Christmas is all about. I need to share the story of Jesus with them. And for some of you, I understand that, you know, you're in pretty tough environments. So let me help you out a little bit. For some of you, it may be nothing more than taking one of those little books and leaving it in a bathroom or on a coffee table. And maybe somebody visiting your house will pick it up. For some of you, it might be when you sit down at the table, you go, you know what, I've never done this, but let's do this. Let's all grab hands and let's pray before we eat. For some of you, it might be actually sitting down with somebody and sharing with them Christ. We don't know how much time we have left. Not a person sitting in here. And this might be the last season you have to share Christ with somebody. And you might have 20 or 30 more. I don't know. But can I remind you that we have been given much? And to whom much is given, much is required. We have a responsibility to share it with others. And um, it's kind of like us. We don't have a problem having people over because we know there's going to be plenty of food. It's okay because we could share. And, you know, that, that, that's the whole Christian concept is that we have one of the greatest gifts in the world in having salvation in Christ. And we need to be a little more open about sharing it with people. Because you're going to be around people this week. You're going to be around people in the next couple of weeks that need to hear that need to hear. Can you imagine me bringing you over to my house on, let's say, tomorrow night when we've got steak and shrimp and bacon-wrapped hot dog weenies and, by the way, i got to get that recipe right. Um, it's on the schedule tomorrow. And baked potato, and you come over, and I say, hang on a minute, we're going to eat. But you just sit over there on the steps and we'll talk to you when we're all done. You go, that'd be the most that'd be the rudest thing. Okay, can I draw the analogy between you and I have eternal life and this incredible life that we're never alone and that we have Christ to meet our needs and take care of us and everything else, and then we don't share it with somebody? Does that make sense to you? 
You're like, well, I, I'm afraid I'd offend him. Can you imagine me having you sit on my steps and go, you know what? I would invite you over, but I'm not, I, I, would, I would have you eat with us, but I'm just not sure if you like steak and shrimp and bacon-wrapped hot dog weenies and, and brown sugar. We probably got vegetables there too, but, <laughs> um, you know. I, can, you, go, you go, who cares if you offend me? Don't be offensive. The message is offensive enough, but be willing to share it in love. So my prayer for you this week is this. I end by saying this. This Christmas season is a reminder that Jesus came as the bread of life. He offers you an eternal relationship that can meet your daily and your eternal needs. You must believe and trust Him as your personal Savior in order to have eternal life. You have to come and receive that gift. And as a believer, you'll see your daily needs met. And you and I have an opportunity and an obligation to share Christ with those around us. Let's pray. Father, you have offered us one of the greatest gifts in all of the world. And I pray that there's not a person in here who walks out of here without making that gift their own. So Lord, work in their hearts as only you can. For others, Lord, this has been a tough year and it's a tough time for them right now. Lord, would you help them to understand that you can take care of those daily needs, that you can give them the encouragement and hope and help that they need for today. And Lord, the stuff that they are worried about, the stuff that's heavy on their hearts, Lord, your grace is sufficient. You will meet the needs when the time comes. And Lord, for all of us, may we share the incredible gospel message, the incredible Christmas story with those around us. And when all is said and done, Lord, May we gather around your throne and rejoice because you came, Lord, as the bread of life. Use this in our lives this week, these things we ask in your name.